Hello and welcome back, Star Children, to the 88. I'm Danny Naki Dan. Hello. And I'm here with the Morgan. The Morgan B. What's up, Morgan? How you doing, babe? Long time no star walk, no star talk. <laughs> Long time no star talk. I like that. Long time no star talk. <laughs> well, for real though, we've done a lot of Bible talk. Mm-hmm. No star talk. It's time to keep moving the world. Let's do that then. So last episode we did Canis Major. Uh, so now we're on Canis Minor. And I told you guys that I had some... I was going to get into some Egyptian stuff. So I'm going to get into Anubis and Soap Debt. And I might even get yes. into a little bit of other stuff. I was very interested in Jason and the Argonauts. You're going to have to tell that story. But, and you know, looking at uh, Soap Debt and how she's referenced, and then uh, Sekhmet is also kind of like a sub-deity on par with Soap Debt and Hathor mm-hmm. and whatnot. And she has a lion's head. So I was always like, it's really interesting, like the felines uh, associated with um, women, right? Usually, mm-hmm. and I was like, how come, like, if Sirius is in Canis Major, why is there no, like, feline type of thing going on? Why is it dogs? So that's something that I've kind of been looking into. I don't have much of an answer, but... Dang it. Maybe, maybe uh, as we go on, we'll we'll get some of that. Um, so I'm going to do Canis Minor. And Canis Minor, it's a small constellation in North Sky. Guess what it means? Smaller dog or lesser dog. Ooh, didn't, <laughs> didn't see that one coming, right? The constellation represents one of the dogs following Orion, the hunter in Greek mythology. The other dog is represented by uh, the neighboring constellation Canis Major. Both uh, constellations were first cataloged by the Greek astronomer Ptolemy in the second century. By the way, I heard that the Greeks and Romans sucked at keeping astrology uh, and the Egyptians... (sighs) The Sumerians were way better at it. So it's interesting that it always references back to the Greeks when they sucked at it. So there you go. But here's the thing. I mean, and (laughs) here's what I find very like ironic about that is personally, I believe that um, the Greeks or Romans, have you will, like to roam around, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I think that Cretans ended up in Egypt. Mm. Um, so the fact that, you know, all of these other civilizations that were taught by, you know, previous people that were originally like Alexandrian, you know, um, or of different schools of thought that come from Greek Greeks or Romans uh ended up being better than them. But the Greeks or, come from the Greeks come from the Israelites, right? Who knows? Yes, yeah, interesting. One. I can't 
honestly answer that question. Hmm. I wish I could. Well, from because, my, my tribe of Dan studies, they uh, they say like the tribe of Dan ended up becoming what was to be Greece. So there could have been an earlier predated Greece, and then they mixed with them. But you know, I wouldn't doubt that because that would the tribe of Dan reminds me a lot of the Pythagoreans and mm. like um that school of thought. You know, uh, the law of three, the um, Mithraic system, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. How it morphed over time. I'm going to, I'm going to look up something about Crete, uh, because I think that's interesting also. The his, it's the, just something the I Crete, find myself thinking. Right. The, but the Minoan civilization was by far like uh, one that was t- talked about or referred to, but not a lot of people know a lot about the Minoans, but they do have like uh, uh, this bowl, well, because they, this they bowl tr- type uh, symbology, which means that would have been in the time of Taurus, right? So the age of Taurus, so they would have been before before the Aries, the Ram. So just based on that, they well, they're have, the ones chasing the the golden fleece. So, the Romans, the mm-hmm. Greeks, you know, that's why <clears throat> Jason and the fifty went on the Argonavis. So you do have this strange, and I say Crete because that is a lot of um like where this seems to the minoan civilization seems to be like the perpetrator not it seems to be like where all of this seems to keep coming from because we have the same stuff keep playing out over and over and over and over again and that's where it just seems to have originated sometimes when i read text i'm like wow could this be possible? But then I'm like, no, 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 no. It's like one of those, like, okay, am I just really out there? Or like, <laughs> could this well, be a thing? You know? Well, look at this right here on Wikipedia. I know everybody's going to say about that, but there is a fresco. Hey, it's almost impossible to edit it. Edit it. <laughs> there is a fresco found at the Minoan site of Nosos. Gnosis? Kind of looks like that. K-N-O-S-S-O-S. Indicating a sport or ritual of bull leaping. The dark skin figure mm-hmm. is a man and the two light skin figures are women. And so it's kind of interesting. Like we have this running of the bulls and bull parades, bull gods, all these different things to do with bulls. Uh, even when Moses came down from the mountain, it was a golden calf, which is a, a baby bull. Or baby cow, same family, bovine. But the site of Gnosos, Gnosis, it's almost like Gnosis. Um, but it says the history of Crete goes back to the seventh millennium BC. Yeah. Preceding the ancient Minoan civilization by more than four millennia. So you have, that means you have Minoans around 3000, uh, yeah, 3000 BC. Uh, the 
palace-based Minoan civilization was the first civilization in Europe. Uh, so they say. Yeah. After the Minoan civilization was devastated by the Thera eruption, uh, Thera uh, was a catastrophic volcanic eruption that devastated the Aegean island of Thera circa 1600 BC, destroyed the Minoan settlement at Akrotiri. So that's around. Okay, so think about it. So 1600 BC. Right, shortly before the Exodus. 1177. And right before the invasion of the sea people to basically everywhere because that's when the first global civilization collapsed, which could have been around the same time, like you said, as um, what, the fall? The fall? No. I'm just saying like 1600 BC is kind of around the time when they believe that uh, Moses Exodus was. I think they think maybe around 1500 to 1300, somewhere in those two years, 200 years. So. Oh, I'm sorry. You said Exodus. Exodus. Yeah. Okay. Maybe a little bit before that. So, I mean, if that erupted and people had to leave there then people had to flee into other areas in, in the Mediterranean area. Uh, so they would have had to, you know, go other places, uh, which, I mean, it all, it's always talked about the Israelites are a people without a home. So something happened to their home at some point where they had to leave it, either a flood or a volcano eruption or whatever the case might be. But, uh, it does say that Crete developed an ancient Greece-influenced organization of city-states, then successively became part of the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, the Venetian Republic, and yeah. the Ottoman Empire, an autonomous state, and the modern state of Greece. So evacuations in South Crete from 2008. Eight and nine revealed stone tools at least 130,000 years old, including bifacial ones of uh, Acheulean type. This was a sensational discovery as the previously accepted earliest sea crossing in the Mediterranean was thought to occur around 1200 BC. This suggests that the island may have been visited by archaic humans during the Middle Pliocene. During the late Pliocene, the island was e- ecologically isolated and only inhabited by a few mammal species, including deer, belonging to the endemic genus Candia Cervus. See, Even a lineage deer. of mice, a dwarf elephant, the Cretan otter, mm. and the Cretan shrew, as well as the large terrestrial Cretan owl. All of which, but the shrew, are now extinct. So that's very interesting. Those are some of the animals that uh, we think of. Well, at least the owl and the deer, right? They're very heavy in mythology. Sometimes the elephant. What else did you say? Elephant? The shrew? And definitely a mouse. Yeah, mice. Definitely a mouse. Mouse is like number one, what I think. Other than... A deer and a 
elephant and definitely a mouse because so, um yeah i've been like okay so evagrius ponticus is a christian mystic from five the sixth sixth <clears throat> sixth century ad so all right Evagrius Ponticus, also called Evagrius the Solitary, 345 to 399 AD, was a Christian monk and ascetic from Herclea on the coast of Bithynia in Asia. So, okay, this guy was a Christian monk, so he was an ascetic, so he was an Essene, so he... um you know, follow like the theologian laws or what have you. He wrote this book. It's called the Kevala Gnostica. And um, recently, and I just wanted to like, it's called the, it's uh, translated into Problemata Gnostica, but um, they have this, recent new translation that's about to come out um that has chapters it's called like chapters on knowledge or prepositions on knowledge and um the manuscripts and stuff that never ever made it into like any sort of even like non-canonical books that we can still get to this day uh so it's still being worked on or what have you um it's about to come out but I was adding that because I was listening to something about this guy when it re- in regards to the Kevalianostica. And um in uh Earl Fontenelle, shout out to him because he's really, really good at like helping you understand like the different layers of this. But he was saying that basically, um so something happened there in Crete and then Egypt went something, you know, they took over Egypt or Egypt got destroyed from the inside or I don't, nobody really knows what happens to Egypt. Nobody knows what happened at the end of the battle of Troy or they do know, or they had, that's when like history tears apart and there's like different, that's when you get different views of different stories of different viewpoints. But basically after the um, takeover of Rome at the fall of Troy, and I'm sorry for this long tangent. um, It, that is when the Byzantine empire took over And that is when Christianity pretty much was like, um, started being manifested, I guess you could say. Like, yeah, they started like really working on putting that into liturgy and then theology, but they also had a big, big work in like metallurgy. So it's kind of weird, but, um, Oh, here yeah, we go. I just wanted right that. It's in here. Yeah. Uh, it says, uh, I want to get to this picture over here too, but it says stone tools indicate that the island was inhabited by Mesolithic hunter-gatherers during the early Holocene. The Neolithic 
begins on Crete around 9,000 years before present 7,000 BC. In the Neolithic period, some of the early influences on the development of Cretan culture arise from the Cyclades, uh, which are an island group in the Aegean, southeast of the mainland Greece, and a former administrative prefecture of Greece. They are one of the island groups which constitute the Aegean archipelago. The name refers to the islands around the sacred islands of Delos. And it says... uh, Mm. The culture arise from the Cyclades and from Egypt. Cultural records are written in the undeciphered script known as Linear A. The archaeological record of Crete includes su- superb places, houses, roads, paintings, and sculptures. Early Neolithic settlements in Crete include Nosos and Trapeza. So over here on the side, there oh, is... Oh, that's funny. A goddess clay figurine, which it says Neolithic uh, 5300 to 3000 BC, Pano Chirio, Lara Petra region, Crete, Archaeological Museum of Heraklion, uh, which this Heracle lion, right? Hercules and the lion. Yeah, yeah and Hercules was uh, basically Samson. Of the tribe of Dan, uh, just repurposed and gave a different name. So you have Hercules also has an interesting story if you want to get into it. I mean, like I've told you before, but um, Hera drove him so mad that he killed his whole entire family. And so, um, <clears throat> now I don't know, that's just the story, but. Right. So for him to go on this trip with the, you know, the on the Argo Navis and to perform his labors, it was to, you know, I, I guess to get salvation. I'm not quite sure, but mm-hmm. he he had to do these things, and that's what they called like the underworld or whatever. But you have this goddess figure, right? And it's a yeah. it's a mama goddess because it has the wide hips and big legs and whatnot. Uh, it has really interesting looking feet. It almost looks like some job of the hut type thing, but it has a a snake serpent looking head on this goddess figurine, which I think is very interesting because the serpent and the goddess I think are. Uh, associated very closely with each other i think some people don't really realize how much they're associated with each other but uh it's like in the story of adam and eve right with eve and the serpent and there's another one i think cora in ireland who turns into a giant serpent and eats uh uh saint patrick uh there's other correlations between the serpent and the females with like Egypt wearing it on the crown headdress and all kinds of other associations of like mystic women with snakes and crystal balls and all that stuff, you know, (laughs) right. We just carry around snakes in our messenger bags, right? Well, Medusa too, with snakes coming out of her head. And there's always this association with females and reptiles. Uh, maybe because it's the, they're cold-hearted, or maybe, or you know, what? Or, <laughs> or because they're they're beautiful and uh, evil at the same time. Uh, a lot of 
female deities get this reputation of being like a complete catastrophe and also uh like uh complete beauty too so or like are you saying like a damsel in distress because please lord no did i say damn no damsels are like uh they're playing dumb right uh to uh, oh to are they playing you. dumb yeah damsels in distress like oh. oh when you see a damsel in distress like it's bait for men so they pull over and and they pick up the damsel but then the damsels uh kills them and steals all their money <laughs> damn like, yeah it's not really <laughs> it's not really a woman in distress it's a it's a trap it's a damn she yeah. got you um but i was just i just wanted to talk about because this figurine is super interesting with a snake head on it well will you it even looks like it has a bit of a crown oh yeah my bad it's okay there you go babe thank you so yeah you see this i thought i was on screen share sorry no oh it looks like uh for like fatima fatima they're always chunky yeah yeah yeah. well they have uh there's another goddess of the sinai uh they call her like mamu uh, the moo part being the cow or the mother goddess cow, the cow goddess. And so mamu, that's where we get the word mom. And and that's uh, the opposite of that is the dad. And that's where we get dad. So mom and dad. And then so like it's very interesting. You, ha- you have these big thick thighs and whatnot. But look at the the feet. They, they're almost like hooves. You know, they look like cow. bare feet. Like a cow, like a bovine. Uh, mm, so. They look, yeah, or like even like a pig. Yeah, oh, same. I think it's the same family, actually. Goats, the hooven, uh, goats, cows, and pigs all have the cleft foot. Uh, camels, too. Oh, okay. Uh, they might all be in the same Apparently. species. Camel toe, yeah. She's got camel toes sure for days um but uh, (laughs) for uh the earlier times radiocarbon dating of organic remains and charcoal offer some dates based on this it's thought that crete was inhabited from about 130,000 years ago in the lower paleolithic perhaps not continuously with the neolithic farming culture from the 7th millennium bc onwards First settlers introduced cattle, sheep, goats, pigs. See, look, cattle, sheep, goats, pigs, <laughs> and dogs. And dogs. As well as domesticated cereals and legumes. So beans and <laughs> uh, grains. Remains of settlements Animal. found at the Bronze Age Palace of Knossos date back to 7th millennium BC. Up to now, Knossos remains the only... Uh, Acromaic, acromic, a ceramic, is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Uh, remains the only a ceramic site. The settlement covered approximately 35,000 square meters. The sparse animal, and it means bones. without pottery. It says it's defined as not produced. Producing pottery in archaeology, the term means without pottery. Yep. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. The extinction of the local megafauna had not left much game behind. No Neolo- fruit Neolithic of their pottery. Labor. Neolithic pottery is known from Nosos, Lair Cave, and Garani Cave. The late Neolithic sees a proliferation of sites pointing to a population increase in the late Neolithic. The donkey and the rabbit were introduced to the island. Deer, deer and agrimi were hunted. The Kri-Kri, a feral goat, preserved traits of the early mm-hmm. domesticates. Oh, my God. Horse, fallow deer, and hedgehog are only attested from Minoan times onward. Uh, the Kri-Kri, sometimes called the Cretan goat, agrimi, or Cretan ibex, the feral goat inhabiting the Eastern freaky. Mediterranean. It looks pretty cool, uh, but it's got the. It looks like goat a tea. dog bull goat. Yeah, I don't even know. The legs are odd. They they the front legs do not belong on the same animal as the hind <laughs> legs. Um, very interesting. Creepy that creepy cray cray. Uh, well. We should do a whole thing about Crete and stuff later. I'm telling you, Crete's strange. Um, I just, the Minoan civilization, I know I always say, but 1177 BC, damn fine read. Highly suggest, 10 out of 10 for anybody that's listening. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, that was a sidetrack. I hope everybody enjoyed that. But Sorry. let's get back to you. <laughs> now you're good. That was kind of my sidetrack too. Did I do that? Um, I can't find where I was. Oh, here we go. So I was talking about Canius Minor. Uh, oh, it's... Why am I holding on? Oh. What? (laughs) Okay, so we were on... uh, uh where where did my thing go here we go canis minor is the home to procyon one of the brightest stars in the night sky luton star one of the nearest stars to the earth and spiral galaxy ngc 2485 non globular cluster among other notable objects yay Canis Minor is the 71st <laughs> largest constellation in the sky, occupying 183 square degrees. It's one of the 15 equatorial constellations that lies in the second quadrant of the northern hemisphere and can be seen at latitudes positive 90 and negative 75 degrees. <clears throat> the neighboring constellations are Cancer, Gemini, Hydra, and Monoceros. The constellation named Canis Minor is pronounced Canis Minor. In English, the constellation is known as the Lesser Dog. Okay, okay. 
Canis Minor belongs to the Orion family of constellations, along with Canis Major, Lepus, Monoceros, and Orion. I hate it how it repeats shit sometimes. But <clears throat> Canis Minor contains two formally named stars. The stars' names approved by the IAU are Gomesia and Procyon. Uh, the myth of Canis Minor is most commonly identified as one of the dogs following Orion, the hunter in Greek myth. Another legend, the constellation is said to represent Mera, the dog of the unlucky winemaker Icarius. Icarius met his end at the hands of a group of shepherds to whom he had offered wine. The shepherds have never tasted wine before and thought Icarius had poisoned them. Mera found Icarius' body and ran to his daughter Aragon. Both the daughter and the dog were overwhelmed with grief and took their own lives. Zeus later placed their images in the sky. In this version of the myth, Icarius is associated with Boots, the herdsman, and Aragon with the constellation Virgo. And Mera with Canis mm-hmm. Minor. Hyginus, Latin author who lived at the turn of the millennium, confused the myth somewhat in his writings. He wrote that the shepherds escaped to the island of Sios, and as punishment for their misdeed, the island was stricken with sickness and famine, which were attributed to the searing dog star Sirius. Sirius. Procyon is mistaken for Sirius here, the dog star located in Canis Major. When Aristeus, king of Sios, asked the god Apollo, who was also his father, for advice on saving his people from starvation, he was told to pray to Zeus. Aristeus did not did so. Um, Aristeus did so, and Zeus sent Etesian winds to the island. Every year, the myth goes, Etesian winds blow for 40 days and cool Greece and its islands during the dog days of summer. After Zeus had sent relief to Sios, the priests instituted the custom of making ritual sacrifices to the gods every year before the rising of Sirius. In yet another myth, Canis Minor is identified as the Teumusian fox, the animal that could not be outrun and was eventually turned into stone by Zeus, who also turned its hunter, Lelaps, to stone. Lelaps was an exceptionally fast dog destined to always catch its prey. In the myth, the dog is represented by the constellation Canis Major. To commemorate the event, Zeus placed both animals in the sky. Uh, Procyon is the brightest star in Canis Minor and the seventh brightest star in the sky, has an apparent magnitude of 0.34. Procyon is not extraordinary bright itself, but is located pretty close to the sun. It lies only 11.41 light years away. It is the 13th nearest star system to our own. Um, the star's name is derived from the Greek Procyon, which means before the dog. It also sometimes called and the Canis, which means the same thing in Latin. The star got this name because it rises before Sirius, 
The dog star in the sky when observed from most northern latitudes. <clears throat> Procyon is a binary star system composed of a white main sequence star, Procyon A, which belongs to the spectral class F5 IV V, and Procyon B, a DA type faint white dwarf, as the companion. Procyon A has 1.4 solar masses and is seven and a half times more luminous than the sun, while Procyon B has uh, 0.6 solar masses and an apparent magnitude of 10.7. Scientists believe that the life is unlikely in Procyon system because that habitable zone may not contain stable orbits because of the presence of the white dwarf and also because Procyon emits more of its light in the ultraviolet spectrum, which is damaging to life forms. Procyon is part of the Winter Triangle asterism, along with Sirius and Canis Major and Betelgeuse in the constellation of Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. But it's guys, right? It's Betelgeuse. Betelgeuse? Yeah? No? Okay. It is also one of the tomato. It's also one of the vertices of the winter hexagon, along with the star Capella and Auriga, <clears throat> Alderbaran and Taurus, oh. Castor and Pollux and Gemini, Regal and Orion, oh. and Sirius and Canis Major. So it's very we interesting that What's it forms that a winter hexagon. Uh, because the female deities give you hexes, don't they? Those witches. Well, just the um, the shape and like general, and the fact that you can make the <clears throat> asterisms or like things that form into that is very peculiar. Because even just a triangle. Or like, you know, the three main stars in the sky that form the different triangles or division lines mm -hmm. um, is even strange in itself. So that's amazing, um, truly. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yes, the winter hexagon. We've got to talk to Gabe about this. Yes, definitely. I'm sure he has some hot sauce for it. Um, <clears throat> or would be like, what? <laughs> Gomesia, Canis Minoris, or Beta Canis Minoris. Gomesia, the second brightest star in Canis Minor, is a hot B8 type main sequence star classified as a Gamma Cassiopeia. Pi. I don't know. C A S S I O P E I A E variable. It rotates rapidly and exhibits irregular variations in luminosity because of the outflow of matter. These stars are also known as shell stars because they are surrounded by a disk of ejected material, which is heated up by the star's emissions. Gomesia. Is apparently 170 or approximately 170 light years distant. It has a mean apparent magnitude of 2.89, with the brightness varying between magnitudes 2.84 and 2.92. The name Gomesia is derived from the Arabic Al Gumasia, which means the 
bleary-eyed woman. Hmm. Uh, Blurry? Bleary. B-L-E-A-R-Y. Here, I'll share a screen again. Sorry. Bleary. Yeah. Bleary. What does that mean? I'm not 100% sure. Hold on. I'll look that up. Bleary. I think it's like blaring or blurry. I'm not sure. Uh, Go ahead. Canis minoris or gamma canis minoris. Gamma CMI is a double star, a spectroscopic binary approximately 398 light years from Earth that has an apparent magnitude of 4.33. The main star in the system is an orange K-type giant. An unresolved companion has an orbital period of 389 days. Uh, the next one up is a G Canis Minoris. Uh, it's another binary star approximately 261 light years distant. It is an orange K-type giant with a magnitude of 4.39. And Luiten star, L-U-I-T-E-N, Luiten, uh, Satan, Lucian, right? <laughs> See, you're thinking it too. Uh, yeah, I was. Lucian <laughs> star is a red Blurry, dwarf. Hold on. Go ahead. Blurry just means dull or dimmed, especially from fatigue or sleep, poorly outlined or defined. Sorry, hmm. go ahead. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. So Lutin star is a red dwarf, approximately 12.36 light years from Earth. It has an apparent magnitude of 9.87, which makes it very faint to observe. Luiten star is the 22nd nearest star system to our own. The closest approach was about 13,000 years ago when the star was within 3.67 parsecs. It is now in the process of moving away from the solar system. Luiten star was named after Mm -hmm. William Jacob Luiten, the Dutch-American astronomer who first determined the star's proper motion, the star is currently located only 1.2 light years from Procyon. So there's where hmm. we get the name. Deep sky objects in Canis Minor. <clears throat> uh, it contains a number of deep sky objects, but all are very faint and difficult to observe. The brightest is the spiral galaxy NGC 2485 with an apparent magnitude of 12.4. The galaxy is located three and a half degrees northeast of Procyon. Its coordinates are seven colon fifty six colon forty eight point seven right ascension plus seven colon twenty <laughs> colon thirty nine declination. Uh, that's for the real astronomy hens out there. Um, <clears throat> but that's it for. All the boring uh, dot 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 parts. Uh, I wanted to get into Anubis. Some mythos. Wait, I wanted to add a few things about yeah. these things. Hold on, my computer's about to die. Um, so Anubis 
is often associated with the Canis Minor. Okay. So, okay. She's back. Here we go. <laughs> what did you want to add? We have just like... Okay. So, um, when it comes to the lesser dogs or Canis Minor, um, I wanted to add this story because the, the story you told is is good. Um, but <clears throat> it says, as though it were with myth- with mythologists, it was Actaeon's dog or one of Diana's or the Egyptian Anubis, but popularly Orion's second hound. Often called Canis Orion, Orionis, and thus confounded in, as in other ways, with the Syrian asterism. Hygienus had, you already said that, Acherum Asterum, referring to the dog Mera. Caseus had Aragonius and Canis Virginius of the same story but identified by Ovid with Canis Major and Firmicus Argion. Um, perhaps it was for Ulix's dog. Um, it was also considered representing, this is my favorite one, Helen's favorite, lost in the Euripus, um, that she prayed that Jove might live again in the sky. Um, so Helen's favorite was Jason. Um, it was Helen's favorite, so therefore it trickled down into being, uh, Jason ended up being everyone's favorite. Um, but, uh, in the brow of the Argo Navis, they had that speaking Dodona wood, um, Athena had those people make that wood. So therefore that, you know, they could always keep an eye on the ship or the Ark or what have you but Helen's favorite I mean she was in love with Jason she made Medea fall in love with Jason just so therefore he could make it back like there's so many different layers when it comes to how much she loved Jason so I just wanted to add that in um but um it has shared its companion, much mixed, degenerate nomenclature, as in the 1515 antecedents, canis, etc., etc., Alshier, Alcimi, Algamesia. Um, but among these strange words, uh, Bayer would have different like names for these and one of them was um, fovea, F-O-V-E-A. Um, it means a pit. And um, Casey is common, much upon, but little had nothing to do with our enlightenment. Or it was also known as uh, the Morris, M-O-R-U-S, the sycamine tree. Um, uh, so I thought that was interesting. The story I wanted to tell, though, 
Um, anyway, it was about how uh, the dogs, one of the dogs ran away and uh, left the sister behind, but I can't find the exact story, so I will not. Well, look for it. And while oh, I... wait, well, wait, Suhel. Yeah, Suhel and his marriage to Al J-A-U-Z-A-H. Yo. Joza and subsequent flight followed by Al Shira below the Milky Way, where she remained. The other sister, Algumazia, left in tears in her accustomed place, or it may be from a recollection of the Euphrasian title for Procyon the water dog. But yeah, so the two dog starts. Yep. Of Canopus. <clears throat> or Europus, whichever story you're referring to. But yeah. Okay. Um, one more thing I wanted to add about it is that Canis Major, I'm sorry, Canis Minor lie in a part of Al Dihira, Al Asad, Al Makbuda, the contracted forearm or paw of the early lion, the other, the extended paw. Uh, running up to the head of Gemini. So one paw runs um, up this one, and the other paw extends and runs up the head of Gemini. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is also lies to the southeast from the feet I of Gemini, its western border over the edge of Milky Way. Um, yeah, you already said. <laughs> um, so you're saying in there that it says yeah. that the two Canis dogs were at one point the two uh, forelegs of Leo? Yeah. And, and what time period was that? Do you know? Well, I I don't know, um, but it had to have been before uh, Canis. I mean, it had to have been before the the Leo split into like Leo Minor, because um, or like during who knows? It mm. could have even been during the last like time Leo was of age. You know, like, I really don't know. I don't know. There's something strange about Leo. Like you said earlier when we were talking about Leo and Gemini. Like, yeah, um, There's something going on between Leo like, and Gemini. I feel like they're kind of like... The, Gemini, I feel, is strange because I have always felt like it was like a later added... Um, like it was like altered or something. Yeah, I feel like they're either a very early like constellation that's been messed with or um extremely later. And honestly, time is cyclical. You know what I mean? But I don't know. I just feel weird about that. Not weird, but I do have a feeling that those two connect. And strangely enough, they do um in the pause of the old or the yeah. earlier lion. Yeah, that's interesting. It, it, it kind of like, <clears throat> again, back to Trapadan, 
and how they have uh, the lion representation as well as the dog representation. Uh, maybe if the Sphinx was built by Dan, it's a symbology of the paws, right? And then, which is where the supposed uh, Casey Edward uh, Edward Casey is it Edward? That's not Edward, huh? It's a uh, Edgar 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 Casey says where one of the deposits of all of this lost information is below the paw, which it's keeping guard. Oh my god! Of so I forgot. Yeah, there's kind of some interesting uh, stuff going on there. But when I was looking into uh, these two, Canis Major and Minor, uh, it said that Anubis represented Canis Minor. And I was like, well, that's weird. What, is there like another dog in Egypt? And it turns out that there is. And I'll, I will get to him in a second. But let's get to uh, Anubis first. And Anubis is the god of funerary rites, protector of graves and guide to the underworld in ancient Egyptian religion, usually depicted as a canine or a man with a canine head. <clears throat> like many ancient Egyptian deities, Anubis assumed different roles in various contexts, depicted as a protector of graves as early as the first dynasty, which was 3100 to 2890 BC. Anubis was also an embalmer by the Middle Kingdom, 2055 to 1650 BC. He is replaced by Osiris in his role as Lord of the Underworld. One of his prominent hmm. roles was a god who ushered souls into the afterlife. He attended the weighing scales during the weighing of the heart in which he was determined whether a soul would be allowed to enter the realm of the dead. Anubis is one of the most frequently depicted and mentioned gods in the Egyptian pantheon. However, no relevant myth involved him. Uh, mm. Anubis was depicted in black, a color that symbolized regeneration, life, the soil of the Nile River, and the discoloration of the corpse after embalming. Anubis is associated with his brother Wepawet. Another Egyptian god portrayed with a dog head or canine form, but with a gray or white fur. Historians assume that the two figures were eventually combined. Anubis' female counterpart is Anput. His daughter is the serpent goddess Kebachekt. So, so this is where Wepowet. I was like, oh, well, maybe if you had a brother, maybe that was the other Canis, right? And then they kind of combined them, and then you didn't have this. So I wanted to talk about Wepawet, and because he's, I actually had never heard of him before I started looking into this. So his name is also Upaut or Wepawet or Of. By Ophius, Ophius, O P H O I S. He was originally a deity of funerary war and royalty association, whose cult center was. Do you think Asiat in Upper do you think, Egypt? I'm sorry. Do you, do you think he has anything to do with like the Ophanims or like the Ophanim like 
like Ophiuchus type of cult? Maybe so. Yes. Okay, I'm uh, just wondering. Well, it is seemingly he has a white dog head, which uh, they they uh, <clears throat> as they go down, we'll see. Uh, his name. The is- reason why I'm. The reason why I was asking is because it's brought up in the Apocrypha as like the Pascal lamb or the dog of Tobias. So I was kind of curious. Well, you should should go into that if you can find some info on that while I'm reading here. Uh, Because that's fascinating. Okay. he is originally a deity of funerary war and royalty association whose cult center was Asiat in Upper Egypt, Lycopolis in the Greco-Roman period. His name means opener of the ways, and he is often depicted as a jackal standing at the prow of a solar boat. Some interpret that what was seen as a scout going out to clear routes for the army to proceed forward. One inscription from the Sinai states that Wepowet opens the way to King Sekhmet's victory. Now, Sekhmet, I wanted to get into Sekhmet too, but let me finish. Yeah, Wepowet. who is like. Okay. We got some things to get into. Uh huh. Wepowet originally was seen as a jackal deity, despite the Greek name of Lycop- Lycopolis meaning city of wolves, right? This is where we get lycanthropy and werewolf syndrome and is one of the earliest Egyptian gods on record. Wepowet was heavily seen in association with royalty and the pharaoh, uh, symbolizing and protecting their rise to power, accompanying them on hunts in which capacity he was titled one with sharp arrow more powerful than the gods alone, or in the pharaoh's ascent to the duot <clears throat> or afterlife. Interesting, it says pharaoh's ascent to the duot since the duot is down. But anyways, over ascent time, or decent. yeah, it should right. It should shouldn't be pharaoh's descent to the duot. I don't know. Uh, over time, well, can... depending on depending on who you're asking, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Over time, the connection to war and thus to death led to Wepowet also being seen as one who opened the ways to and through the duat for the spirits of the dead. Through this and the similarity of the jackal to the wolf, Wepowet became associated with Anubis, a deity that was worshipped in Asiat. Eventually being considered his brother, seen as a jackal, he was also said to be Set's son. Consequently, Wepowet often is confused with Anubis. This deity appears in the temple of Seti the First at Abydos, and Seti the First um, was the second pharaoh of the 19th dynasty of Egypt during the New Kingdom period, ruling 1294 or 1290 BC to 1276 BC. He was the son of Ramses the First and Sitri, and the father of Ramses II. Um, in Egyptian art, Wepowet was depicted as a standing jackal as opposed to Anubis, who was a recumbent jackal, or as a man with a head of a jackal. 
In rare cases, he appeared in fully human form, while many sources of misinformation have circulated both on the internet and in academic circles regarding Wepwet being associated with a wolf or to gray-white coloration. The foremost expert on jackal gods of ancient Egypt put this argument to rest in the book Jackal Divinity, stating Wepwet was almost certainly colored black. The discrepancy in color is most often attributed to pigment degra uh, degradation or the pigment variety chosen by the artist. For Wepowet, Anubis, and other jackal gods such as Dumatef, he was sometimes depicted dressed as a soldier as well as carrying other These are all gods I've never heard of. A mace and a bow. Uh, yeah, I've heard of, uh, well, I like Egyptian mythology, so I've heard of quite a few of them, but it's interesting because I've never heard of Wepowet before. But for generally, is considered to be building or to be lauding purposes of the pharaohs. A later myth briefly was circulated claiming that Wepowet was born at the sanctuary, sanctuary of Wajet. So if you don't know what Wajet is, it's uh, known to the Greek world as Uto or Buto, among other renderings, including Wajet is Uajet or Ujo, was originally the ancient Egyptian local goddess of the city of Dep. It became part of the city that Egyptians named Perwajet and the Greeks called Buto. Mm. Uh, the Wajet is also something else. Uh, yeah. Which is a, it's a closely associated with the ancient Egyptian re religion with the eye of Ra, um, a powerful mm -hmm. pro protective deity. The higher left for her eye is shown below. So everybody has seen that eye before. And that's what a wajet is. Um, so. <clears throat> It's, uh, the animal origins the of the lower Egypt. For certain, the exact species of animal represented by the Egyptian jackal, the African jackal, was one of the species thought to depict and the template of numerous ancient Egyptian deities, including Wepowet. Other species theorized include the black backed jackal, also called the silver backed jackal and the golden jackal or asiatic jackal the egyptian jackal was listed as a subspecies of the golden jackal but molecular osteological data has established that it's unique species in its own right it is native to egypt libya and ethiopia though its post pleistocene range once encompassed the palestine region so they still don't know where they get this head from uh, it's also interesting because there is a Mayan deity with a dog head named Cholo, I think it is. X-O, Choloto, X-O-L-O-T-L. And it's, uh, it basically looks just like a new... Choloto. Choloto, yeah. Um, Choloto, yeah. But I wanted Which is to, like an action word too. Yeah, I wanted to get to 
Um, well, Jet is said to be the nurse of the infant god Horus. With the help of his mother Isis, <clears throat> they protected Horus from his treacherous uncle Set when they took refuge in the swamps of the Nile Delta. From the site Tebtunis in the Egyptian Fayum, a temple is dedicated to Wajet and was the site of the ritual performance in her honor. She was associated with the land depicted as a snake-headed woman or snake, Egyptian cobra, a venomous snake common to the region. Sometimes she was depicted as a woman with two heads, at other times a snake uh, with a woman's head. Her oracle was in the renowned temple in Perwijet that was dedicated to her worship and gave the city its name. This oracle may have been the source for the oracular tradition that spread to Greece from Egypt or vice versa. From around the 4th dynasty onward, Wajet was claimed to the patron goddess and protector of the whole of Lower Egypt and became associated with Nekbet, depicted as a white vulture who held unified Egypt. After the unification of the image of Nekbet joined Wajet on the crown, thereafter shown as part of the Uraeus, the, the necklace thing that they wear it's like an aura it looks like an aura mm-hmm. um u-r-a-e-u-s anyway the religion epithet for these patron deities of the entire country was nepti which means two ladies mm. <laughs> she was later joined by men m-i-n and Horus to form a triad, there you go again, of deities. The Eye of the Moon. Okay. She was shown coiled upon the head of Ra in order to act as his protector. This uh, image of her became the Aureus symbol used on the royal crown. Um, also called the caduceus, which may have separate origins. Um, her image rears up from the staff of the flagpoles that are used to indicate deities as seen as the hieroglyph for Uraeus and for goddess in many other places. So yeah, just some random little things about Wajet and I think Nekbet and Wajet and the triad of goddesses is kind of important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Men, uh, Horus, and yeah. So on last episode also I was talking about Sopdet and how she had a red dress. And uh, the Virgin Mary is also described as wearing a red dress. And so that brings me to this other deity. I said, like, I keep saying, like, there's this lion thing going on with this, these dogs, right? And there's, like Morgan said earlier, how the, the two uh forearms of leo were canis major and minor at one point in time so i was like there's gotta 
which is fascinating to me because I was like, there has to be this connection to felines, leos, lions, uh, and and to these Canis stars uh, systems because it's mm -hmm. and then so we have soaked that earlier and then we this is Sekhmet Sekhmet and she's an Egyptian uh, deity goddess she's a warrior goddess as well as a goddess of medicine so <clears throat> remember how I was talking that about earlier how they uh, like the woman is usually seen as like very chaotic but also very orderly so she's uh, uh, killing and healing <laughs> at the same time you know uh, the venom, it's an antidote as well. Right. So Sekma is a solar deity, sometimes called the daughter of Ra, and often associated with the goddess Hathor or Bastet. And Bastet is the cat uh, that people often see, uh, the cat deity of Egypt, uh, and associated yeah. with Hathor, right? Which Hathor, yes. if you look at Hathor, she also wears the red dress. So you, you keep on seeing this red dress, Isis cult thing uh, going on. Sekma is the daughter of the sun god Ra and is among the most important of the goddesses who acted as the vengeful <sighs> manifestation of Ra's power. The eye of Ra, Sekma is said to breathe fire and the hot winds of the desert were likened to her breath. She is also believed to be the cause of plagues, which were called as her servants or messengers, although she is also called upon to ward off disease. What does this sound like to you? Dragons? Sounds kind of biblical, even. Uh, plagues? And kind of sounds like some, like, it sounds like, uh, which one is the god of plagues and, and messengers? diseases? Michael? Yeah. Or is it Gabriel? One of them. Or which one is it? I don't want to say the wrong I name. I don't know. Look it up. One of them is the name. Well, I do actually do have my Bible way down here. But uh, one of them is actually the name for. Oh, yeah. I, I forget about. I'm not a true millennial. I swear. I forget <laughs> I can do that. Uh, in a myth about <laughs> the end of Ra's rule on the earth, Ra sends the goddess Hathor in the form of Sekhmet to destroy mortals who conspired against him. In the myth, Sekhmet's bloodlust was not quenched at the end of the battle that led to her destroying almost all of humanity. To stop her, raw poured out beer dyed with red ochre or hematite so that it resembled blood. Blood? Oh my God. Mistaking the beer for blood... She became so drunk that she gave up the slaughter and returned peacefully to Ra. The same myth was also described in the prognosis text of the calendar of lucky and unlucky days of papyrus in Cairo, 86637. In other versions oh of God. the story, Sekhmet grew angered at the deception and left Egypt, diminishing the power of the sun. This threatened the power and security of the world. Thus, she was persuaded by the god Thoth to return and restore the sun into its full glory. Her mythical portrayal was 
among the more important of the goddesses who acted as a eventual manifestation of Ra's power, the Eye of Ra, her attributes and her iconography sometimes makes it difficult to differentiate Sekhmet from the other feline goddesses, mainly Bastest. Sekhmet was considered the wife of the god Ptah, uh, Ptah and the son of Ra. So Ptah, Ra, so Ptah and Ra are not actually uh, the same, which is weird because they're also considered the same in many other uh, versions. But And mother of his son, Nefertum, she was also said to be the mother of a lion god, Ma'ah, Mahas. Uh, M-A-A-H-E-S, and he was an ancient Egyptian lion-head god of war whose name means he who is the, he who is true beside her. He was seen as the son of the creator god Ptah, and well, as well as the feline goddess who nature he shared. Mahas was a deity associated with war, protection, and weather as well as many other things. So basically what you see in in Egypt is this duality of two different gods that do the same things, but one is a female, one is a male. So perhaps Wajet and uh, Anubis were, one was a female, one was a male maybe even, because Wajet well, in this... was kind of feminine too at the same time. Wajet is feminine, Um Horus is feminine, but however, on this trinity or this triad we have going on here, the third one is Min, M-I-N, and it's in Egyptian, it's M-N-W. It is an ancient Egyptian god whose cult originated in the pre-dynastic period. He is represented in many different forms, but check this out. Uh, but was most often represented in male human form shown with an erect penis, mm. which he holds in his right hand and upheld left arm holding a flail. <laughs> so I guess he shows it. He holds his penis in his right hand and holds a flail in his left. And, you know, like when you're telling this story, it kind of sounds like this is done against i'm not gonna say against her will but i'm gonna say um she doesn't like it wasn't like an on it like a choice well a choice that maybe she possibly couldn't refuse something happened i don't because it the way that the the languages when it's speaking about the snake and how then it becomes to coil um and like give her aura to your her uraeus or whatever the aura um to like the patron deities uh, a bunch of men, just, a bunch of men in uraeus yeah, she starts just like what? But um it does say indeed in later times uh via Wikipedia, she's often depicted simply as a woman with a snake head 
or a woman wearing the ureus, or a lion-headed goddess often wearing the ureus. The ureus originally had been her body alone, which wrapped around or was coiled upon the head of the pharaoh or another deity. So it's like they're using it. They're using her. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not saying like <laughs> anything like bad. I'm just saying it doesn't really sound like, I mean, her appearance keeps changing, you know? Um, I don't know if it's because she wants it to, or if it's because she's being domesticated, mm. you know? Cause they, that's kind of the word I've been looking for. Yeah. So, um, that's just what I, I, it's like, and then we were talking about the different animals on Crete and the order that they came in. And it's just like those, it's like domesticating different types of deities almost. It was just really odd. The, you know what I mean? Like, um, but earlier I was looking up the, like the more um like in depth about the Yorius, the snakes around the because they look like a, it looks like a snake necklace. But the cartouche uh, later called Goop. Well yeah, the cartouche shows what the Yorius symbol was. So like um if you were to look at the mask of Tutankhamun's mummy, like what's around his neck, like the snakes, that is what Urius was, like from the 18th dynasty. Uh, the cobra image of Wadjet with the vulture image of Nekbet. So the cobra would be the necklace and the vulture image Or I guess on the head of Tutankhamun, you have two different. You have the cobra and you have the vulture coming out of his head. Hmm. Which is interesting, hmm. by the way. I want to get more into this men guy. Uh, it says his cult began. Oh, did you look was, up what he looked like? Yeah, see? If you can... Uh, mm-hmm. He has an erect phallus. Uh, he's dark in complexion. Uh huh. He's a. He's and a he's dark holding a flail like man. he's. He's like. Uh, you know, it just looks like you better do what I say. <laughs> I'm. Uh, I'm gonna whoop that ass. I'm gonna whoop that ass, bitch. Uh. <laughs> I saw- Literally, and, and I mean, like what you just said, like literally, because I mean, that's just when, I, yeah. and I didn't know how to say a, that. I did not know. It's how like to, Anubis style. It's a huh? domestication. Doggy style. Yeah, it's like a, <laughs> but. Maybe they had an Anubis yeah. style in Egypt. Uh, but. I mean, or it Zeus says, wannabe. It says, no, listen, I'm going to get into that. Because it says men's cult began and was centered around Coptus and Akmim, 
Panopolis of Upper Egypt, where in his honor great festivals were held, celebrating his coming forth with a public procession and presentation of offerings. His other associations include the Eastern Desert and links to the god Horus. Flinders uh-huh. Petrie excavated two large statues of men at Quift, which are now in Ashmolean Museum, and is thought is by that? some that they are pre-dynastic. Ashmolean Museum on Beaumont Street, Oxford, England. Although not mentioned Britain's by name. Public Museum. A reference to he whose arm is raised in the east and the pyramid text is thought to refer to men. His importance grew in the Middle Kingdom when he became even more closely linked with Horus as did deity Men Horus. By the New Kingdom, he was also fused with Amun or Amun, A-M-U-N, in the form of Men Amun, who was also the serpent Irta, a Kamutef, the bull of his mother, a god who fathers himself with his own mother. Mm-hmm. And it says that his mother is Isis, and one of his consorts is also Isis. As uh, independent, yep. one uh, men as an independent deity was also a Kamutef of Isis. One of Isis's many places of cult throughout the valley was at Men's Temple in Koptos as his divine wife. Men's shrine was crowned with a pair of bull horns. As the central deity of fertility and possibly orgasmic rites, men became identified by the Greeks with the god Pan. Mm. One feature of men worship was the wild prickly lettuce. Lactua cereola, uh, the domestic mm. version, which is Lactusa sativa. Sativa. Lettuce, devil's lettuce, right? Which, uh, uh, it's, an, it's an aphrodisiac. Which and an aphrodisiac and opiate qual- qualities produces latex when cut. That's super interesting. What? Condoms, latex. What? Uh, men. Are you shitting? <laughs> Possible. Lact- Lactuca sativa. And then it says, it says, oh, an opiate qualities and produces latex when cut, possibly identified with semen. He also had connections with Nubia. However, his main centers of worship remained at Koptos. And Akmim, um, male deities as vehicles for fertility and potency rose to prevalence as the emergence of widespread agriculture. Male Egyptians would work in agriculture, making bountiful harvest a male-centered occasion. Thus, male gods of virility, such as Osiris and Min, were more developed during this time. Fertility was not associated solely with women but with men as well, even increasing the role of the male in childbirth. As a god of male sexual potency, he was honored during the coronation rites of the new kingdom when the pharaoh was expected to sow his seed 
generally thought to have mm. been plant seeds at the beginning of the harvest season. His image was taken out of the temple and brought into the fields into the festival of the departure of men. The men festival. I was wondering why. Okay. Let me finish. Go this. ahead. Sorry. When they blessed the harvest and played games naked in his honor, the most important of these being the climbing of a huge tent pole, the maypole, right? Mm. Uh, this four-day festival yeah. is evident from the great festivals list at the temple of Ramses III and Medinet Habu. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was literally just saying that makes sense because I wonder why, like, we don't, you hear of all, I mean, have you heard of him? Because um, I have not. Somewhere. I mean, I've heard of Pan. I've seen his epitaph. I've seen his face. I've seen that eye. I've seen, I've not seen that <laughs> ever. <laughs> and I definitely haven't. <laughs> Uh, I like it's cut off over here in the Bellum night in uh, on the right side on that one that uh, that uh, his his erect penis is oh wait never mind it is there never it's there <laughs> I thought it was a crack and <laughs> it's a big penis okay anyway but you never really out. hear about this. He could touch his <laughs> nipple with that thing. Dude, I thought it was a crack in the fucking <laughs> Stella. <laughs> uh, cult worship. Uh, this is also uh, the Greek equivalent is Pan and Priapus. And Priapus is when you get a stiff penis, right? And it doesn't go away. So that's Why? Yeah. What? I'm about right? to look that up. Isn't that That's true? Do that. Go ahead. Yeah, you do that. How do you spell that? Priapus. Priapus. Yeah. Uh, you should see this guy. I don't. I don't want to look. Oh. <laughs> it says. Right here, that Priapus is a minor rustic fertility god, protector of livestock, fruit plants, gardens, and male genitalia. Priapus is marked by his oversized permanent erection, which gave rise to the medical term Priapism. He became a popular, popular figure in Roman erotic art and Latin. Who's Originally, Asian cults started in Hellespont regions, uh, centering especially on Lamp Lampsca Lampsicus. He was uh, represented in a caric caricature of the human form, grotes grotesquely mishappen with an enormous phallus. I'm just going to send this over and you do what you want. No, I don't want to look. <laughs> I can figure it out. Uh, <laughs> but like, but in his hands, he's holding like all the grains. Okay. Like all the wheat, all the fruit. It's kind of weird because he's got like a, a pot head, like a flower pot for a hat. Hold on. 
It says a uh, cult and worship in the pre-dynastic period surrounding a fertility god was based upon the fetish of fossil fossilized belemnite. And belemnite is an extinct order of squid-like cephalopods that existed from the late Triassic to late Cretaceous. Unlike squid, belemnites had an internal skeleton that made up the cone. The parts are from the arms, most to the tip, the tongue-shaped proostracum, the conical fragmacone, fragmacone. Uh, keep and going. This is interesting because guard. it goes uh, in. It goes into the um, the whales and like mm, the yeah. The, the calcitic guard is the most common belemnite remain. Bellum belemnites in life are thought to have had ten hooked arms and a pair of fins on the guard. The chitinous hooks. Chitinous. <laughs> Chitin, I guess, chitinous hooks <laughs> were usually no bigger than five millimeters, though a belemnite could have had between 100 and 800 hooks in total, using them to stab and hold on to prey. Uh, belemnites were an important food source for many Mesozoic marine creatures, Mesozoic. both. The adults and playing uh, planktonic juveniles as and likely played an important role in restructuring marine ecosystems after the Triassic Jurassic extinction event. It may have laid between a hundred and a thousand eggs. Some species have been adapted oh to speed and swam in the turbulent open ocean, whereas others resided in calmer. Littoral zones. Littoral zones. Littoral zones. Literal. <laughs> like literal. <laughs> That's what fucking spelt the same way. And fed off the seafloor, the largest belemnite known. Megatoothius. Megatoothus? I don't know how to say this shit. Anyways. Yeah, you're doing it. Elliptica. Interesting, interesting creature, but it has like a weird cone shaped thing. Uh, so apparently, they well, uh, like a few of them, they really like this uh, like, belamide. Yeah, well, it's kind of like how they were the whalers were, like, or mm. how they were with whales back in the middle ages or medieval times. And it, these people became so obsessed with whales, like. It's kind of like people who work Maybe. on like at the paper mill, like they come home and they smell so awful, but like <laughs> to them, they smell like money. <laughs> okay. Uh, so it says, uh, based <laughs> on upon the fetish of fossilized bellum night, later symbols widely used were the white bull, a barbed arrow and a bed of lettuce. That the Egyptians believed to be an aphrodisiac. Egyptian lettuce was tall, straight, and released a milk-like sap when rubbed. Poppy. Characteristics Ooh, superficially poppy. similar to the penis. Lettuce was sacrificially offered to the god, then eaten by the men in an effort to achieve potency. 
Later, pharaohs would offer the first fruits of harvest to the god to ensure plentiful harvest with records of offering. What does that sound like to you? Uh, Cain and Abel. (laughs) (laughs) This is a thing. Hmm? Is that what you're going for, or am I off? Yeah. Okay. You're so on point. You are (laughs) so on it. Uh, how do you know me uh, well i mean we've been talking about bible stuff for a while too so it's been uh kind of ingrained now uh a lot of like a lot of the stuff oh, that we've ingrained. been going through with yeah. this yeah a lot of the Is stuff that's gonna we've... be harvested <laughs> maybe my seeds will be harvested who knows Are they sprouting yeah if you if uh, you can harvest them in your yes. Oh my God! Stop! <laughs> Leave it up for after the recording. Uh, so no. it says uh, to ensure plentiful harvest with records of offering the first stems of sprouts of wheat being offered during the Ptolemaic period. Uh, civilizations were not able to formally practice the cult of men paid homage to the god as sterility and was unfavorable condition looked upon with sorrow. Concubine figurines, the phallic statuettes, and ex voto phalluses were placed at entrances to houses of Dear El El Medina to honor the god in hopes of curing the disability. Egyptian women would touch the penises of statues of men in hopes of pregnancy, a practice still continued today. Oh my so it god. It looks like the Bellamite things was used as like a almost like a way to get priapus uh, so they could have it's kind of like a modern day or ancient Viagra. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean these people are just like us. You know, we look at ancient people and we think that they don't want to get Viagra. You know what I mean? Like oh, Yeah. <laughs> of course they did. Uh, of course a horse of course a horse they would (laughs) there's a horse there's a way (laughs) uh oh here we go i wanted to get into set because set is um his offspring was anubis and wepoet Serket, and sobek and sobek was the ancient Egyptian deity with uh, associated with the now crocodile. Uh, so he had a crocodile head, and and what babe? Maga was Maga. also another one of his offspring. And it says his Norse equivalent was Loki. Uh, Greek so- equivalent Typhon. Yeah, and this is Seth. And this is the same as, to me, Seth of biblical narrative. Uh, so when Seth went against Canaan, Seth is the one that uh, chopped off the penis of Osiris, right? So there's yep. this Seth versus Osiris, Cain uh, versus Seth. Uh, thing going on here and it's interesting because loki is associated with is set. Set, and that's also association to 
Lucifer, right? So Luciferian. So is his religion Luciferian, or is it a Luciferian god? And is the original god Satan, which is kind of like how I think of it as, because the original uh, Satan is also like to me uh, associated with um, Odin, um, and that way. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, so like it all sounds that. super evil but at the same time it's really not it's just it's not. Whatever, whatever side you're on uh, you're going to always see It's not even on. a side it's it's about being educated in other areas other than um what you have been born into or what you believe or what have you uh to make a better decision also to be open minded about other people's choices um, so I think that being open-minded and like not in not looking at Luciferianism or Satanism as a bad thing, it is what it is. Well said. Uh, but his uh, so Seth's parents are Geb and Nut. Uh, his siblings yeah. are Osiris, Isis. Uh, Nephthys, Horus, the Elder. Nip slip. <laughs> Nip slip, yeah. <laughs> uh, That's what I call Nephthys. But Set is a god of deserts, storms, disorder, violence, and foreigners in ancient Egyptian religion. Who are some foreigners in ancient Egyptian religion? Just saying. In ancient Greek, the god's name is given as Seth. Seth, Seth. Had, Seth had a positive role where he accompanies Ra on his bark to repel Apep, which is the giant. Uh, Ooh, what is Ape? Oh, Apophis. Apophis. Yep. He embodied chaos and thus was the opponent. The opponent. Of light. Yes. And Mott. Order and truth. Oh, Apophis got to go. It's the serpent of chaos. Set had a vital role as a reconciled combatant. He was lord of the red land, the desert, where oh. he was the balance to Horus' role as lord <gasps> of the black land, the fertile land. Holy shit. Tell us what you just realized. So he was lord of the... <laughs> He was Lord of the Red Land, the desert, which obviously, I mean, at some point, the Sinai. desert it was an ocean. Yeah, whatever. Um, so he, where he was the balance to Horace's role mm -hmm. of the black fertile land. So when you part a balance, it's there's no balance there. Like there's, it's right. imbalanced. Like when you, when you like split the scales, uh, I guess you can say, mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's nuts. Balance is important. Uh, so they, they always had to have a deity to go against the other one uh, to create that balance because it's in nature. It's in everything. So, even though some of these gods seem like evil or bad and also good at times, 
that's to combat yeah, they the play other their force. Role. Yes, the other force that they're combating. So, but when you part, so did when you part the Lord of the Red Desert or the Red Land, would you like, I guess, take over or murder or I don't know. I don't know. Well, either way. The, that means the fertility and hormones, Horus hormones. That's why, like, this horoscope is so out of whack. Hori. Hori Like, if you really, I say this all the time, if you really want to control someone, like, just control their hormones. <laughs> I mean, you see older people. I'm so serious. It will, like, it's almost debilitating and like yeah. to take over like someone's um ability to or disability to reproduce is insane for sure look how many uh women are on contraceptive uh probably a lot uh what do you think's going to happen when they have a i mean i was male in, contraceptive until... <laughs> it's going to be chaos nobody's going to fight no fucking <laughs> dude's going to take it <laughs> You don't think they will? Oh, I bet a bunch of dudes oh, would take no. male contraceptive. Oh, for sure. There's, then there'll be no more like surprise. You have a baby for sure. Dudes will, especially the hooker dudes that like try to fuck everything that moves. You're gonna be on that shit all day because hooker dudes. Yeah, the rooks. the sluts, the man man sluts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, those guys. Babe, I know what you. Well, you know what? They deserve it. <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, so. Not to sound like Hera. And the Osiris myth, the most important Egyptian myth, Set is portrayed as a usurper who murdered and mutilated oh. his own brother, Osiris. Osiris's sister wife, Isis, reassembled his corpse and resurrected her dead brother husband, with the help of the goddess Nephthys. Nephthys. The resurrection lasted long enough to conceive his son and heir, Horus. Horus sought revenge upon Set, and many of the ancient Egyptian myths described their conflicts. In ancient Egyptian astronomy, Set was commonly associated with the planet with Mercury. Mercury. Since he is related to the west of the Nile, which is in the Sahara, he sometimes is associated with the lesser deity, Ha, god of the desert, oh my god. which is a deity depicted as a man with a desert uh, determinative on his head. I don't know how you depict that on somebody's head, but interesting, Ha, god well, of the desert. It, ha, ha. See, God ha, does have a or, <laughs> You're so stupid. <laughs> uh huh. There's no water here. No, that also reminds me of um, freaking Moses and Aaron. Mm. Yes, very much so. Well, uh, many of the Bible is Not taken from Egyptian mythology, much of it. And Sumerian and Babylonian. Not to like always take everything back to Moses and Aaron, but shit, a lot of this 
right here of what you just said does remind me a lot of Moses and Aaron. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think the Bible is a collection of different things taken from different places. But I don't think, see, here's the thing. I think it's an amalgamation of like what history has had its eye on. Like, okay, well, you know, here's this and this and this equates to this, but I don't necessarily think it was originally done for nefarious purposes, this Mm -hmm. a collection of information. But when you collect people's information, I mean, ultimately, you like what's being done to us right now, you know, like, and even when in our biblical podcast, um, when they, like I said, when they tell us their genealogy, they're just revealing that to us. They have kept this info down and every everything down. They have written everything down since, I mean, since before forever. Moses knew how to write. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um. Sorry. Thanks. Go ahead. No, you're good. Uh, Set is the son of Geb, the earth, and Nut, the sky. His siblings are Cyrus, Isis, and Nephthys, Nipslip. He married Nephthys and fathered Anubis. In some accounts, he had relationships with foreign goddesses Anat and Astarte. Yeah, that's where it gets From these out. relationships, is said to be born a crocodile deity named Maga. Maga. Yes. Magic. Magic. Maga, make America great again. Do you believe in? Uh, Name origin. The meaning of the name Set is unknown, but is thought to have been originally pronounced Sute. Suti. Suti. Based on spellings of his name in Egyptian hieroglyphs. You know, that looks like how we call the dogs. Sorry, that's Sui? Yeah. I was thinking about that too when I was reading it because I was just watching uh, uh, the Wu Tang saga and Method Man always goes, Sui, Sui, like a pig oink, but yeah. maybe he's saying Sui, like set. I don't know. Well, maybe we are too when we call our own mascot and we don't even know it because we do it <laughs> three times. Uh, it's uh, in each Egyptian hieroglyphs is S T H and S W T H Swit. Uh, so the late Egyptian spelling S T S reflects the palatal palatalization of H, while the eventual loss of the final consonant is recording in spellings like S W T J, the Coptic form of the name C H T. Set is the basis for the English vocalization. In art, set is usually depicted wow. as an enigmatic creature referred to by Egyptologists as the set animal. A beast not identified oh, with wow. any known animal, although it could be seen as resembling an aardvark, an African wild dog, a donkey, a hyena, jackal, pig, antelope, giraffe, octopi, saluki, or fennec fox. The animal has downward curves. Fennec. 
That's what I said. And <laughs> no, I think that's cool because it, I that it's like feminine, like fennec. That that mm. just the whole feline, like you know what I mean. That word just yeah is interesting. Uh, the animal has a downward curving snout, long ears with squared off ends, a thin forked tail with sprouted fur tufts, mm. an inverted arrow shape, and a slender canine body. So this is another canine, right? So yep. sometimes Set is depicted as a human with distinctive heads. Some early Egyptologists proposed that it was a stylized representation of the giraffe. I don't know how. Owing to the large flat top horns, which corresponds to a giraffe's osicones, uh, the Egyptians themselves, however, used the distinct depictions for the giraffe and the set animal. During the late period, set is usually depicted as a donkey or as a man with the head of a donkey. And in the book of Fayyam, set is depicted with a flamingo head. So the ass, the ass, right? There's a story. Yeah. Uh, What's that <clears throat> ass called? What's the ass called in the Bible? The uh, uh, ba, ba something. Persepe? No. Uh, oh. Balaam? <laughs> the Balaam at Something like that. Uh, um, I do know that a flamingo is like, um, they, <clears throat> it's depicted and usually like, um, stylized as like a useless bird right and mm. it has no like use mm -hmm. like you know it's looked on like negatively like yeah. you flamingo for you the, know what i mean for the pokemon people out there this set animal looks like a pokemon <laughs> looks like uh yeah. looks like umbreon uh the conflict of horus and set um should I even read this? I know we're doing astrology, but do you do you want me to get into this conflict? It's a big one. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. An important element of Set's mythology was the conflict with his brother or nephew Horus for the throne of Egypt. The contest between them is often violent, but is also described as a legal judgment before the Ennead. Uh Ennead or Great Ennead was a group of nine deities in Egyptian mythology worshipped at Heliopolis. The sun god Atum, his children Shu and Tefnut, their children Gebenut, and their children Osiris, Isis, Set, and Nipslip, Nephthys. The Ennead mm -hmm. sometimes include Horus, the elder, and another ancient form of uh, the deity. Uh, as assembled. You know, that's weird. Of the ancient deities. So the Ennead. Like, yeah. Go ahead. The Greek form of Aeneid is like the same, but it's with Greek god. It, it's like, I wonder what was done first. But anyway, go ahead. Egypt. Go yeah. ahead. Uh uh the group the Ennead was assembled uh to decide who should inherit the kingship the judge in this trial became uh the judge in this trial may be geb who was as the father of osiris and set 
This is interesting. Geb is the uh, judge and the father of Osiris and Set, which means he was God over Osiris and Set, which kind of relates to how Dan, the tribe of Dan, is the judges. And then people also say, God is my judge, or only God can judge me. Uh, yeah. There's some interesting connections there. Anyway, held the throne before they did, or it may be the creator God's Ra or Autumn, the originators of kingship. Other deities also take important roles, both frequently acts as conciliator in the dispute or as an assistant to the divine judge. Oh my God. And in contendings, Isis uses her cunning and magical power to aid her son. Doesn't that sound familiar? All of this is like everything put into one. This is <laughs> absolutely insane. I can think of three different stories off the top of my head. <laughs> the rivalry of Horus and Set is portrayed in two contrasting ways. Both perspectives appear as early pyramid texts. The earliest source of the myth and some spells from this text, Horus is the son of Osiris and nephew of Set. And the murder of Osiris is a major impetus for the conflict. The other tradition depicts Horus and Set as brothers. This incongruently persists in many of the subsequent sources where the two gods may be called brothers or uncle and nephew at different points in the same text. Mm. The divine struggle involves many episodes. Contendings describes the two gods appealing to various other deities to arbitrate the dispute and competing in different types of contests, such as racing in boats or fighting each other in the form of hippopotami Hippopot to determine a victor. In this account, Horus repeatedly defeats Set and is supported by most of the other deities. Yet this dispute drags on for 80 years largely because the judge, the creator God, favors Set. In oh, the ritual okay. text, the conflict is characterized as a great battle involving the two deities' assembled followers. The strife in the divine oh, realm gosh. extends beyond the two combatants. At one point, Isis attempts to harpoon Set as he is locked in <gasps> combat with her son, but she strikes Horus instead who then cuts off her head in a fit of rage. Thought replaces Isis's head with that of a cow. The story oh gives a gosh. mythical origin for the cow horn headdress that Isis commonly wears. This goes into the other thing that I was talking about with that figure and how it was called like a mamu or uh, the cow, the great cow of the Sinai. Um, so that's very interesting, this cow. Oh, reference. my God. This story is insane. <laughs> and it keeps going. <laughs> it's still going on. So today. hold on. Let's just get this straight. Like, that's what I'm saying. So like these two brothers or uncles or cousins or nephews or yes, these yes. two men who are related, who are very strong deities. Horus favors one. Creator God favors the other. So they're like combating each other. Mm -hmm. I bet you they're like. Well, Horus is the son of Osiris, right? 
And then, so oh. it says that the cre creator, uh, the judge, God favors Set. Uh, so you could consider Osiris like Cain and Set like Seth. Well, that's what I was just about to say. Yeah. Like, so at the end, oh my God. Okay. He beheads so her Horus, and then replaces her head with a cow. So Horus being the son of Osiris would mean that Horus is Enoch. Oh my God. Okay, keep going. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's how they conclude it, but I would think that, that but Cain's son is Enoch, so Osiris's son Horus would be Enoch in this in this uh pre presume presumation. Is that a word? I don't know. I mean it's still happening, like you know, oh my gosh. Okay. So in a key Keep episode in the conflict, this is actually kind of interesting because I think this is in the book of Adam and Eve. Uh, I think you've read it or we heard about it. So maybe you could add add some to this. But in the key episode in the conflict, Set sexually abuses Horus. Set's violation is partly meant to degrade his rival, but it also involves homosexual desire and keeping him with one of the set's major characteristic, his forceful, potent, and indiscriminate sexuality, in the earliest account of this episode, in a fragmentary Middle Kingdom papyrus, the sexual encounter begins when Set asks to have sex with Horus, who agrees on the condition that Set will give Horus some of his strength. Uh, I think there was a in the Adam and Eve uh, thing. There was a thing between. Uh, Abel and Cain, and Abel wanting to steal Cain's wife from him, and that's why he killed him. That's why he just abruptly kills him, uh, because of this extra text that has some more detail. But that, yeah, people, people don't believe that text is truthful. So, uh, but, anyways, I'm just saying, well, it kind of no, sets a, a similar is... situation. Here, even though this one is of homosexual context, but maybe they took out the homosexual part because it is the Bible. Oh God! Oh my God! Okay. Okay. So this encounter puts Horus in danger because in Egyptian tradition, semen is a potent and dangerous substance akin to poison, according to some mm. text. Set's semen enters Horus's body and makes him ill, but in contending, Horus thwarts Set by catching Set's semen in his hands. Isis retaliates by putting Horus's semen on lettuce leaves that Set eats. Set's defeat comes apparent when the semen appears on the forehead as a golden disc. He oh, has been impregnated with his rival seed, and as a result, gives birth to the disc. In contendings, oh Thoth takes the disc and places it on his own head. In earlier accounts, it is Thoth who is produced by this anomalous birth. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we found out what <laughs> the sun disc this? is. No, I haven't read. Have you? Okay, okay, okay. I knew about the their battle and their fight, and I've heard about like uh Horus 
like capturing Seth's semen, right? Uh, I so did not know about that. Get pregnant, uh, uh, and be impregnated. Uh, w- weird homosexuality impregnation. I don't get it. But anyways, I I didn't hear, hear the part about this uh, where he gives birth to the disc, and the disc places it on his head. And Thoth is produced so, by this. So um, Thoth is, and that's why he's Hermes, and that's why he's oh, like hermaphrodite. Hermaphrodite, you know I mean? yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Okay, well that's fascinating. I never, uh, yeah, I never heard that part of the story. Uh, usually, and I always see this story in fragments in different places, so it's hard to know what what's what. So this is the first. Uh, I've heard it this way. So that means that Thoth was produced by anomalous, like, I'm not going to say immaculate, but anomalously. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it could be also that Horus is female of some sort, too. You know, I don't know. Uh, Well, or maybe they changed maybe that's where cosmetics comes into play and like the weird stuff that people started to do in Egypt Mm -hmm, because, mm -hmm. you know, if something happens at the temple, it trickles down, you know? Yeah. Trickle down. (laughs) Another important episode concerns mutilations that the combatants inflict upon each other. Horus injures or steel sets testicles and set damages or tears out one or occasionally both of Horus's eyes. Sometimes the eye is torn into pieces. Set's mutilation signifies a loss of virility and strength. The removal of Horus's eye is even more important for this stolen eye of Horus represents a wide variety of concepts in Egyptian religion. One of Horus's major roles is as sky deity. And for this reason, his right eye was said to be the sun and his left eye the moon. The theft or destruction of the eye of Horus is therefore equated with the darkening of the moon in the course of its cycle or phases or during eclipses. Horus may take back his lost eye or other deities, including Isis, Thoth, and Hathor, may retrieve or heal it for, for him. Egyptologist oh, Herman Tay Veldi argues that the tradition about the lost testicles is a late variation on Seth's loss of semen to Horus, and that the moon-like disc that emerges from, emerges from Seth's head after his impregnation is the eye of Horus. If so... The episodes of mutilation and sexual abuse would form a single story in which Set assaults Horus and loses semen to him. Horus retaliates and impregnates Set, and Set comes into possession of Horus's eye when it appears on Set's head. Because Thoth is a moon deity in addition to his other functions, it would make sense, according to Valdi, for Thoth to emerge in the form of the eye and step into mediate between the feuding deities in any case the restoration of the eye of horus to wholeness represents the return of the moon to full brightness the return of the kingship to horus and many other aspects of ma'at 
Sometimes the restoration of horse's eye is accompanied by the restoration of set's testicles, so that both gods are made whole near the conclusion of their feud. My gosh. Yeah. <laughs> we need to get into this. I, I mean, I think we're into it, right? <laughs> I mean, like, oh my God. We should read it on ebbs and flows. Um, talk about it on there. That's what. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's uh, uh here's a demonization of set thread uh set on a late new kingdom relief from karnak this figure was erased during his demonization so it seems or that, iconoclasm yeah according to herman tave valde the demonization of set took place after egypt's conquest by several foreign nations in the third intermediate and late periods uh which was uh, uh 525 BC, I'm seeing, and 10 between 1077 and 525 BC. Set, who had traditionally been the god of foreigners, thus also became associated with foreign mm -hmm. oppressors, including the Kushite and Persian empires. It was during this time that Set was particularly vilified and his defeat by Horus widely celebrated. Set's negative aspects were emphasized during this period. Set was the killer of Osiris, having hacked Osiris' body into pieces and dispersed it so that it could not be resurrected. The Greeks would later associate Set with Typhon, a monstrous and evil force of raging nature. Both were sons of deities representing the earth, Gaia, or Gaia and Geb, who attacked the principal deities, Osiris for Set, Zeus for Typhon. Nevertheless, throughout the, this period in some outlying regions of Egypt, Set was still regarded as the heroic chief deity. Jeez, so, please. the intermediate period, this is the 1077 to 525. So, that's interesting because this was right before it says Set, who is traditionally the god of foreigners, thus also became associated with foreign oppressors. This is uh, shortly about four or five hundred years after the exodus from Egypt um, by the Israelites. So I wonder if maybe they took Set as their god with them when they left and uh, called them by a different name. Probably. Uh, because this kind of corresponds to the descendants of Set, which and then demonized them, and you know, well, they're I mean, demonized then... in Egypt, but that doesn't mean he was a bad person. So they took with him because they didn't like the opposite. They didn't like Osiris. Osiris is usually often uh, associated with Canaanites, also, or Cain, or the uh, yeah, the god, or not the god, but the guy Cain. <laughs> the game, the god game. <laughs> Kane, just not the not the people. Well, I mean, you know, to me, it's all like <laughs> that type of shit. So, um, 
I could get into more. I could read about Osiris if you want, or we could just finish it up here. It doesn't matter to me. I think we've been talking for almost a couple hours now, if not already a couple hours. Uh, I, mean, I know we were talking mostly about Sir or Canis Minor, but I th I felt like these associations played into the constellations and. As you can see, we're getting some of the sun and moon aspects, Mercury, uh, some of these type aspects, and, well, and on a lot of these dog uh, dog type deities also, right? With Anubis and Wepawet, and then this—that's what I'm saying. There's, I, it's like Osiris and the dogs is kind of like, it's kind of like. Osiris and his his like dog companions, dog, man's dog dog is a man's best friend, and also guardians that are helping him. And then you have this idea of the feline, which is the 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 feminine yeah, aspect. I think it's more feminine. And then you, but me. then you have a a triad, which I wanted to get into. Uh, you have a triad of um you also have a triad of lion yeah, I have it. deities in the sky uh i had it in here might have deleted it uh The winter hexagon. No. I did want to add this. Um, it is. <clears throat> emotion resembling. Uh, we're talking about. Um, uh, Procyon. Emotion resembling that of Sirius, which astronomers had found to be moving in an oval orbit uh, entirely unexpanded until the discovery of its compa companion in 1862 by Alvin G. Clark uh, Bernard at the Yerkes Observatory in 1898 uh, makes the close companion of Procyon uh 4.83 away at a position angle of 326 degrees this period of revolution of its most magnificent system is found 40 years in an orbit slightly greater than that of uranus the combined mass being about six six times that of our sun and earth and the mass of the uh companion equaling that of our sun it's light times is three times greater or it's light is three times greater i'm sorry so yeah with uh i was talking about the sky and the dogs and the cats the felines it says in our current late evening sky we have three constellations that represent no fewer than four dogs the big and little dogs, Canis Major and Minor, and the two hunting dogs of Canis Venetici. And it says they are sharing a space with three big cats. 
Leo, Leo Minor, and Lynx, which are all found relatively close together. So I think that's kind of interesting. It's showing like, you know, canine and feline are kind of sharing the sky with each other, looking at each other. And you have like, this is represented by male and female uh, here on yeah. Earth. Uh, so I just think that's an interesting connection. Uh, that's why I wanted to talk about Sekhmet and Anubis and uh, and whatnot. So, yeah. No, I think that's great. Yeah. Uh, so I can get into Osiris if you want, or we can uh, kind of leave it here. You can do whatever you want, babe. I'm down for whatever. I know it's late for you. It's almost uh, one. I just feel like if we start Osiris, it's going to be like a long thing. Yes, yes, it will be. Uh, I basically got into what I wanted to get into. Uh, so I'm good at ending it here and maybe another time. I do want to get into Yeah, I do want to get into this whole topic more. I think that it's worth a, like, more people and a, a sleep on and a review tomorrow and <laughs> get a stew on this <laughs> i know we should definitely probably do some uh some slow burns or something on we egyptian should we should get deity. the gang together yeah and just do it on egyptian and, deities or do like greek deities or you know, just do different yeah, deities. Just cats and, and dogs again, but make <laughs> make it stellar. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we even did a, a a slow burn on cats and dogs and their symbology around everywhere. So it's also so it's interesting. It's showing up again here in the stars. Um, and so there's, that there's it is like it. super, super um, masculine. I kind of feel like there's a lot of masculinity in. Also, when it comes to the triad, I feel like there's, it's like the reversal of like what we see now. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like the, there's femininity and then there's the masculine as, uh, what was his name? Men. And then um, now we have the Holy Ghost, like the Shekinah aspect, like the Mary aspect is, you know the third part on this one it just seems reversed but anyway yeah for sure texting roman all right i was supposed to do esoteric america today with roman but he just texted me right now and said oh we're gonna do it tomorrow um <laughs> what the well when were you gonna <laughs> Thanks for letting me Does know. Does that mean like your tomorrow or like his yes. next so, day? They're the same. <laughs> okay. I, I thought it was like 6 p.m. there. For him, it's like uh, 11 to 9. Eight. It's like 8. Almost 8. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we should get, we should all do like old like og egyptian deities and yeah we should just go over them and talk about them and uh 
and see what they're about and click on some of the lesser known ones and read about them we might learn some more some more stories especially osiris like i think it would be good to do a deep dive on osiris since that's like the whole progenitor story of of egypt you know getting cut up and yeah and and that whole story so i would like imagine like losing your penis like you're not able to procreate you know like like you're done for your lines cut off so like it's kind of weird that that's the progenitor of egypt but i now look at orion as the progenitor of other areas so yeah it's just so weird it's nuts well it says his body parts are spread out all over the all over the world uh in different locations his body parts were spread out so that way they could not find his body parts to retrieve them and then his penis i think was thrown in the ocean and they found all his body parts but they could not retrieve his penis so isis created a dildo and uh fucked yeah. herself basically and was somehow impregnated by no she virus. brought him back to oh okay i thought she like brought him back to life but just like long enough for him to like get one off and then then possibly yeah yeah, yeah she sewed them all back together and brought them back to life yeah maybe there, i think there's several different uh kind of stories the way like they go the, that's why the i was like this weird i've never like i've never heard this one before you know go ahead elucius no the caduceus of oh. like the staff like raising the dead the two serpents coil around the staff mm-hmm. to raise, and, you know what i mean that's and this and the sumerian the sumerian version of thought thoth uh he's the one that is able to raise the dead and no uh, none of the other gods are able to raise the dead uh that's kind of like okay so with there's a difference between roman and greek mythology and then so basically hermes is the one it's the same so, as thoth yeah yeah thoth is in um uh, one of the myths the one who resurrects the dead or rewinds time or does something one of his little tricks to you know make things change or whatever but and then then you have the birth of Asclepius which comes later but um either way like it's so weird how all of this is just repeated I mean it's nuts and there's so much more to it it's coconuts because like there <sighs> you learn so much more in that little wikipedia link about these egyptian deities um that you could like actually probably relate to current themes mm-hmm. than you do like in the open air you know yeah it's pretty sure. cool baby but you did awesome ah thank you thank you babe all right well that's it for the 88 today folks so i hope you enjoyed i know we got a little off topic with egyptian myths and didn't really focus too much on canis minor but it's all associated you know what i mean that's what it is it's all it's all part of the same story so if we don't get into the myths we don't learn more and that's what it's all about and learning from the stars and learning from the myths because they're connected to 
and they're also connected to life now because everything cycles and repeats and goes in the wash, right? It goes in the wash, it fossilizes, <laughs> and then it shoots back out. And then, you know, we think repurpose it as new material. And, you know, that's just how it goes. You put a Tide stick in and you throw it all in and you say an amen and press spin. <laughs> there we go. Throw a Tide stick in, press spin. How'd that go? That was pretty good. Uh, but yeah, thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. I forget what, uh, I think it's a uh, Capricorn, Capricorn, yeah. mean old Capricorn. So, um, yeah, until next I'm time. I'm actually excited about this one. You're not excited about all of them? You say that every no, episode. No, I, I am. You sound like, a, like a, a wrestling announcer, like, this is going to be the best pay-per-view ever. It's like they say that every time there's a new pay-per-view. This is going to be the best one ever time trying to sell it. No, it's just I don't I don't know that lot like that much about Capricorn or like resonate with it since it's like Saturn's home. You know, it's like mm -hmm. structure, order, um, you know, all the things that like my wild ass is like, what? No, run. <laughs> you. <laughs> You know, like just like orderly and by the book. So it'll be fun to learn. All right. Say bye. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're not on the phone. Good night, y'all. <laughs> Danunaki out. Thank you.